five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jonathan, Seven Circles. Today's episode, we have Vanessa Brooks. Vanessa Brooks, she runs this awesome program. It's called Life After Church. She has an incredible story, and she's doing great work, in my opinion, on this planet. And I think that is actually needed. So we're going to be talking about some interesting things today. One but uh, of the things that we're going to be talking about, but also a couple other things is how religion, uh, specifically Christianity, affects the mind and how do we overcome this? And a lot of people watching might say, why do you over want, why do you want to overcome it? This is the faith. This is good. We know that there's a lot of Christians on this planet. There's 1.8 billion people who subscribe to being a Christian. There are over 34,000 different denominations. But what a lot of people don't know is that Christianity, as well as many other religions, is actually a business. And just in the United States alone, a year, uh, Christians, uh, the Christian faith, I guess you could say, it grosses $5.2 trillion. That's with the T, $5.2 trillion. Uh, your story is amazing, Vanessa. And... Um, I kind of want you to talk about this because you were a pastor, right? And I, I don't know if I'm saying it right because I didn't grow up religion. Uh, I didn't have one. But do you call it a, a pastor? Do you call it a priest? What, what's the appropriate uh, name? So, yes, in, in my faith, we subscribe to something called a five-fold ministry. So it's pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and teacher. Hmm. So I started out as, as a pastor, and then I ended up... Uh, transitioning into what's called an apostle an apostle okay and, and before we even get started i do want to say thank you for coming on i uh, i appreciate I, I appreciate you so much thank you for this thank you for having me Glad and, to be here. absolutely so so um how do you how do you get involved in it like give us a little background give us a little snippet of who vanessa was and how you found christianity or christianity found you and kind of like the process Sure. Christianity definitely found me. So like most African-Americans in this country, I won't say all, but most of us are born into uh, Christianity. And so that was my story. Um, my beautiful mother, God rest her soul. <laughs> my mother was a devout uh, Baptist woman. And so I was raised in a religious home. Uh, <clears throat> and so when you're raised in that environment, you never, uh, your cognitive processes never allow you to even wonder if this is the only way uh, to, to, to practice spirituality. You, there's an assumption that Christianity is the only way and it's taught very blatantly. So I grew up Christian thinking that the Christian God was the only God and that the Christian way of life was the only way of life. And so because that was my, because that was my cognitive framework, then everything else that I did was um, done within that framework. So the way I became a pastor was that I was called uh, into that office, into that assignment. Um, again, these are constructs that are taught, right? So you you learn these beliefs and you learn these um, mindsets. And so the mindset is that the belief is that uh, God will call you into these into these positions. And so I had that that belief system. And so I, I, I experienced what I call um, a God ordained calling into pastoring. So first I became a minister. Okay. 
A minister is just a person who proclaims the the, the gospel message of God and Christ. I did that first, and then it evolved into me feeling like, and this and this also came at the advisement of my pastor, uh, who who saw a calling in my life as well. And so it evolved into okay, it's not just enough for me to be a preacher of this message, but I need to actually lead a congregation of my own. And with that belief and that calling, I, along with my husband, uh, we started our own church from the ground up. And um, from there, it went into another calling, another tier, where I felt like there were other pastors and leaders who needed mentorship and spiritual development and training. And that's where the whole apostle title came from. And at that point, I began to help other pastors start their churches. We call it church planting. And I was just traveling the country, helping other pastors and leaders start their ministries as well. And so I did this for 14 years. 14 years. Wow. You're highly, highly involved. Kind of like you were bred, like you were bred for it almost. Yeah. So, And in some, and, and in some regards, I will still say I, I was born to do this, but I just had limited information at that time. And so I was, I was sort of trapped in the Christian framework. But yeah, I was, I was born to do it. Because I'm I'm listening to you, and from somebody listening from the outside in, they might be like, "Oh, this is great! This is awesome!" You know. So, what is like? How did things change, and and why did you decide to leave the Christian faith? What was that process like? What was missing from the equation, if you will? The the doctrine itself. So the the concept of ministry is beautiful. And I and I and I still I still am a minister. It's just different. But once you get into the indoctrination part, and that's the large part of what we do at Life After Church, is we're trying to help people deconstruct from the indoctrination. The the, the process of indoctrination is teaching individuals to learn and adhere to a set of beliefs that govern your entire life. And you adhere to these beliefs without a lot of questioning. So the reason it became problematic is because I was what you would call a fanatic about my faith. So Christianity, and, and again, people who are not um, as deeply involved as I was, they may not understand this. I was what you call a fundamental evangelical Christian. So I took the Bible 100% literal. Okay. And so when you talk about things like getting saved that means basically renouncing your own identity because you're taught you're a sinner you're born into sin you're not worthy um god doesn't god loves you but god can't be in your presence because of this sin and so you have to take on you have to take on the characteristics of jesus in order to be accepted by god and i took that literal so you basically have to renounce your own identity and you convince your consciousness, your psyche, that you're not worthy. And so you, 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 you start to change. And you, and you read the Bible, and you see all these things that Jesus teaches, and you see all these scriptures from the Old Testament, and so you try to apply that, that stuff to your life. So if Jesus says, forgive your enemies 490 times a day, and that's what he says, mm-hmm. that's what you do. That's what you do. You don't, you don't worry about you know whether you're emotionally broken. You don't, you don't worry about your own problems. If he says to forgive, okay, I got to forgive. If Jesus says to um, love him more than your family, that's what you do. And that's what the scripture says. 
You know, so Jesus says things like, if you don't love me more than your family, you're not worthy to be my disciple. So I took all these things very literal. Um, and as a pastor, I began to teach these same frameworks, these same doctrines. And the problem with that is that the things that are taught within Christianity, they completely uh, dismiss the process of human development. So then what happened was people couldn't abide by the teachings. And because they couldn't abide by the teachings and I couldn't abide by the teachings either, it created a lot of toxicity, a lot of dysfunctionality. Um, it really made people feel even more worthy. And so what happens is that people are either going to constantly need prayer or they're going to leave the church because they feel like this is too much. I can't do this. And so trying to get people to adhere to these very difficult doctrines um, over time, it just became very exhausting for me mentally. And I think for them too, um, it I began, I, I just got very burnt out with it all. Um, at this point, I'm preaching all around the country and every church you go to, it wasn't just the church that I pastored. It was every single church that I visited to preach at where the altar and the altar is the place where you come for prayer, right? The okay. altar is always filled with people who are desperately needing God to touch them, heal them, deliver them, set them free from something. And you as the, as the liaison between these people and God, the pressure is on you because if I don't pray right, then these people's needs are not going to get met. And so all of that just began to weigh on me. Um, the expectations that people put on pastors is great. It's almost insurmountable. Um, I'm gonna get in trouble, but I'm gonna say it. Because God is this invisible thing, this invisible entity, it's easier for people to see you or me as God if you were the pastor, because you're somebody that they can see. So people almost began to treat you like you're God. And so then there's this extreme expectation placed upon you as the pastor to meet all these needs. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I felt my strength just getting weaker and weaker and weaker as the years went on until I finally just um, talked to my husband about it. And I said, I can't do it anymore. I just can't. So the first thing I did was we made the decision to close our church. And our church was aware of this. It wasn't something I did overnight. Um, I prepared my church for the, for the closure. It took us about two years to actually close because we did it in phases, right? What was the response of the people when you closed the church? How, how did they feel about it? <laughs> to be honest, the people who were at my church were ready to go too. Mm. They they felt the same. Um, and mind you, at this point, people, this is just the way church life is. People are always uh, revolving in and out. But the people who were left with me, they, 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 knew my heart. Um, they knew what I had taught them. They were very well prepared to sustain themselves or find other churches that they needed to, because I was, an, <laughs> I was an excellent teacher. And so they were well prepared spiritually for the, for the, for the exit. Um, they saw the weight that was on me and they felt the weight because, you know, again, when you are a Christian and you're trying to when people into this belief system, those of you who are already Christian, the responsibility is great upon you as well. So not just me as a pastor, but people who are already Christians, they felt the same weight 
to live this life of perfection uh, to try to avoid being judged. So they were actually ready to go with me. Um, so mm -hmm. I closed the church. And after I closed the church, we kept meeting a little bit. You know, we'd go out and have lunch at a restaurant. And that was really cool. But I slowly began to say to myself something about Christianity as a, as a whole just doesn't feel right to me. And so I started to just really examine it, examine it from a non-biased perspective. Let's, let's actually backtrack a, a little bit. What, okay. what, happens, what happens to the mind? What happens to a person? Or I guess what, what happened to you when you take on the, the doctrine and you uh, try to abide by it without discrimination, without question, and try to live up to it? What does this do to a person's mind? Why is this uh, dangerous? So it, it's, it's extremely... Um oppressive to our mental faculties because as humans we're supposed to go through a natural human development process and that includes our psychological development christianity for those of us who practice it fundamentally it impedes your ability to make decisions um, because every decision that you make you have to refer to the creed the christian creed so does this decision line up with what my Christian faith says. So you you don't even know how to make independent decisions without consulting with the Bible or consulting with God. So then there's a there's a dysfunctionality that happens in the decision making process. Would you, you say that it uh it kind of stunts your ability to think rational? Oh absolutely. We 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 don't think rationally at all, and and if, when you're in it, you're not gonna you're not gonna see it. But you lose logic, you lose reasoning skills, um, because faith is what you is what you take on. Faith becomes your cognitive process, so you're thinking with faith and not really with your mind, and so actually, you're really not using your mind at all. So you are. You're programmed to believe ideologies and you and you use those programs to live your life. So you're really not thinking at all. So there's a saying what you don't use, you lose. So you're not using your logic and your um, questioning and your um, uh, rational thinking and all of that kind of stuff. Does that actually stem over to other areas in your life? Your entire life. Your entire life. That's my point. Your entire life. So when it comes down to how you live your life, how you make decisions, how you plan, it's always going to be based upon these preconceived beliefs that you already have. So, for example, if I want and again, I'm talking about people who are in fundamental Christianity. I'm not talking about just people who go to church because that's different. Um, so, for example, let's just say you're a Christian woman and you're a fundamental Christian woman and you're really trying to please the Lord. And you're trying to live by these these doctrines, and there's this man that you're really attracted to. You really you really feel like you could be in a relationship. Well, first problem is Christianity teaches women not to pursue men, mm. so she has to wait to be found. Okay, I have I have people in my life right now who are still waiting to be found. They've not even had sex at all. Mm. So 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 she has to dismiss. What her own heart is telling her. Her heart says, wow, this is a man that I'd really like to get to know, but I can't even ask him his name because I'm taught I've got to be, I've got to wait to be found. Um, so if a woman wants to have sex and she's not married, 
Maybe she doesn't even want to get married. But in this framework of religion, Christianity, if you're not married and you have sex, you are committing one of the ultimate sins that's going to not only separate you from God while you're on the earth, but it's going to separate you from God eternally in hell. So hell is a huge part of this mental warfare that goes on within Christianity because we always ask ourselves, if I do this thing, is it going to cause me to go to hell? So I just want you to think about that <laughs> mentally for a person. I'm serious. Wow. Like this, yeah, I just, these, I just never thought about it like that. But these, okay. these are yeah. the mental conversations that Christians have every single day of their life. If I have sex and Jesus, and Jesus comes back tonight, oh my God, I'm going to go to hell. So I can't have sex. Or if I do have sex, then they spend the rest of their life in, in a state of mental repentance where you're constantly feeling the need to ask God for forgiveness. There are people who can't even um, work in the careers that feel aligned to them because those careers are not seen as holy. So, for example, there are women who may want to be a model, but because they have to wear a swimsuit, they can't because that scene is, you know, uh, defiling your temple. These are things that are taught in fundamental Christian churches. So, yes, it spills over into every aspect of your life, how we spend our money. Um, fundamental Christians are taught to to be poor. And I'm going to emphasize this. I'm talking specifically about about the black church. OK, so I'm really an advocate for freeing the minds of black people because this belief system has uh, really affected our psychological well-being so because we're taught to be poor and and that we'll get our crown in heaven that we'll get our riches in heaven a lot of black people a lot of black christians are poverty stricken because we think that it's wrong to have wealth and money so we, we're not financially literate oftentimes everything we get we give to the church so these are things that are that are taught to us and we absorb these things at a mental um and spiritual and even societal level. And so it affects your entire life. I did some research on the, the black churches and how much they make in the United States uh, per year. And I believe it was 80 billion or it could have been 800 billion. But regardless, if you add a zero or take a zero away, that's a huge number. A and, uh, you know, you go to like the projects or some type of hood or whatever, you have a liquor store that's standard. You have a laundromat that's standard and you have a church. And normally you would have, you know, five or six churches and you can have garbage on the floor. It can look really run down, but you always have churches. And so uh, why do you think it is that black people and, and um, I don't like to use that word, but I'm just going to use it for conversational sex. Why do you think it is that black people are so indoctrinated? And and I guess you could say are kind of one of the biggest uh, groups that subscribe to being a Christian. What is the what is the connection? It's it's rooted in colonialism. All right. So Christianity, as it is practiced in America, that's where I live. It is a direct result of colonization and slavery. And so um, I, I put a video on my TikTok a couple months ago about this thing. And, and so. Before melanated people were indoctrinated and converted to Christianity, they practiced other forms of spirituality. Um, after 
the invasion and the colonization, uh, this was forced upon us. So uh, slave owners would give uh, slaves the Bible and they, they encouraged their slaves to become preachers. They encouraged this. Um, and so the black church is rooted in slavery. The first churches, and I'm saying black too, but just let me say it for the sake of conversation. But the first black churches are a direct result of slavery. It was how we, as a, as a black people, it was how we escaped mentally from the oppression of slavery. Um, because when they, when they were in the churches with the slave owners, they were told which scriptures to read. They were told how to facilitate the worship services. Well, eventually slaves began to sneak away and they would go down into the woods behind the slave master's back and they would have their own form of church and they would clap and they would sing and they would be very emotional and very, very expressive. And it was a way, it was, it was religious coping. It was a way to deal with the oppression. And so that's kind of that. And so it's in our DNA. Church is in our DNA. It's, it's a religious coping practice for us. It's how we have learned how to cope with the oppression that still exists in this country. This country still has laws steeped in racism. Our constitution <laughs> is steeped in racism and slavery to this day. Every system, every structure in, in America, the financial industry, politics, entertainment, it's all rooted in slavery and, and racism. And so the only way for us to survive mentally is to escape and go into the church house. And, and, and for just those few hours, you have detached yourself from the reality that we live in. And I mean, I felt that when I was a pastor, that's why I love church so much. Because uh, in the workplace, I was around a lot of racist, pe racist people. And so at the church, I could feel this, even if it was perceived, I could feel this sense of freedom and this sense of isolation and this sense of peace and normalcy. And so. Um, but, but, but then, but then ironically, it's actually enforcing your enslavement, but it's just through yeah. the mind. But you, but exactly. you, don't, you don't really exactly. realize it. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's, 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 it's a double negative. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like, because when, again, when you live in a country that has created laws and policy that make it very difficult for you, especially if you've not been around people um, who have taught you something different, which most of us had not, I had to break free on every level. So when you live in a country that makes it very difficult for you to succeed, Again, church is the is the only option for you, or at least that's what you think. So for me, it, it has been a breakaway of not just my religious bondage, but financially. I mean, I'm a business owner. And I, I 20 years ago, when I first started all this stuff, I would have never thought it possible for me to even own a business or make six figures or anything like that because it was not in my it was not in my mental awareness. So church has been this place of escape for black people because we didn't know we had other options. And part of my message is to to let people know you do have other options. There is a way to maintain your spirituality because I'm still spiritual. So there is a way to maintain your spirituality while releasing yourself from the oppression of colonized Christianity. 
because it is it is designed to keep people of color oppressed and waiting for their wealth and their abundance in heaven while white Christians typically live a completely different life. See, this is why there's so much segregation on Sunday. All right. Mm. Why is it? And and of course there are some churches that are, that are multi-racial, but for the most part, Christianity is, is segregated. Even So why is that? Is there a different God at the black church than there is for the white church? Well, yes, there is because the colonizers, the slave owners gave us a version of God that was punitive, that was angry, that was racist, that was a slave owner himself. The God that they introduced us to was also a slave owner. Mm. This God, and so they 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 built, they hardwired our beliefs to to see God as uh, a God of wrath and punishment if you don't obey and, and serve, and that is the that's in our DNA. And we've got to break free of this at a very deep level. And that's why I'm doing this work. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And even for me, I transitioned out of it slowly over about 15 years because it takes a lot of reprogramming the brain. How would you how would you personally define God? And 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 also, why is it that people, a lot of people, a lot of Christians use the name of Jesus in uh, synonymous with God. Cause that's what we're taught. Mm-hmm. Christianity teaches you that. So in Christianity, there's this concept of the Trinity, which makes absolutely no sense to me now, but you're taught that there's, there's God, the father whom we don't, you have to imagine who that is, but because of, but because of the deep, um, white supremacy within Christianity, we all have seen God as a white man. So there's God the Father, who in our imagination is a white man who sits in the the sky. And then there's this Holy Spirit, who we also envision as some white being. And then Jesus is the third part of the Trinity. Now, I tell people all the time, even though, according to the Bible, Jesus is is a Middle Eastern man, but go Google Jesus right now. If you go Google Jesus, you're only going to see white images of Jesus. So it's been very systematic and strategic to get us to see God as this white man. Because if God is white to you, and that's and that's the highest that there is, then you automatically, whether it's at a subconscious level or at a conscious level, you're going to see yourself as an inferior people. So that's the first thing. All right. And that's and then that spills over into everything else. So how do I define God today? Um, I really don't have a description for God. It's 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 I don't even like the word God. I just use the word God because that's the word that they told us to use. The word God is a it's a European word. Um, For me, it's 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 God is ubiquitous. It's everything. It's you can't define it. You can't name it. You can't. Uh, attribute human characteristics to it. Um, it's all that they're your God, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. I was saying uh, I was saying that to myself earlier today. Yeah, your God. You know, so um, and for me, that that has bought me such a deep level of healing. And so when I tell people Jesus is an egregore, that you're gonna have to um, 
denounce, renounce to get freedom from. All right. This is an invention of European minds who created this story of human uh, sin to keep people entrapped in this never ending cycle of repentance and begging for forgiveness, repentance and begging for forgiveness. And so as long as you are always begging for forgiveness, you're never going to think about building a life for yourself. And that's where Christianity wants you. Mm. It wants you to mentally see yourself as flawed. And I no longer see myself as mentally flawed. I know I no longer see myself as flawed at all. I see myself as perfect just the way I am. So this company that you started or this program, this uh, service that you're providing to the public. Well, uh, talk about this a little bit and, and, and what is the process of, of that? So Life After Church is, is just that. It's, it's, it's helping people on this journey of self-discovery. And I want people to know because the problem is out of all those billions of folks that's in Christianity, research also tells us that a lot of those people, millions of them want out but they're, they're scared, all right? Why are they scared? Because Christianity has done an amazing job of convincing us that under the earth, there's a fire pit that you will go to if you don't believe these stories. So the first thing that we have to do at Life After Church is we have to do a lot of um, deconstruction um, of, these, of these beliefs. Um, people don't think it's possible to have a life after Christianity. Um, because your your whole life is is this belief system. So what we're trying to do is create a safe space for people to decolonize their faith, <laughs> uh, to decolonize their belief, um, to to let go of these images of a white angry god uh, or or a black god for that matter. If it's if it's the same one that Christianity purports. Uh, and, and so after that, we, we want to teach people about this process of self-discovery, right? Who are you? Who are you without these beliefs? Because mm. these beliefs have created a false identity for you. Mm. Who are from with, deep within your soul? Who do you desire to be? Mm. What do you see yourself doing? What do you see yourself having? You know, wh what would you be doing with your life if you had not gotten absorbed with these toxic beliefs? So we call it a self-discovery journey, right? Um, and then we talk a lot about healing the trauma because uh, religious trauma syndrome is, is, an, is a new discipline that's being developed as we speak. And these doctors- syndrome, wow. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm a degree professional counselor anyway. And so, and, and I'm working on my doctoral degree and we're looking at uh, mental health um, in the, in the African-American church. But so just teaching people to uh, how to recover from the trauma that these doctrines have caused. Because there are people right now who are battling anxiety and depression, um, who live in deep fear because they really think if they leave that God's going to kill them, um, that they're going to get sick. And there are pastors who teach this stuff in the pulpit. You know, there are people who think if I, if I leave, I'm going to be tormented in hell forever. And so if, if you may not understand it, if you've never been a part of it, but this is real life um, for a lot of people, for millions of people. Mm -hmm. And so we start teaching them 
all these biblical concepts. I, I, I break them all down. One of the first things I teach people is about hell. Let's break it down. Let me show you why hell is not even a real thing. Because that's that's where most of this trauma is coming from. Mm. So I walked them through hell and 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 how we got that word and how we got that belief system and we look at the etymology of words and we look at the origin of words we look at the historicity of religion and words again the word god if people were to go look at the etymology of the word god i think it's greek right i think it's greek or something like that it's it's germanic and it it actually It actually doesn't mean anything like what we've made it mean. It's evolved. But the original way that it was used, uh, Germans were using this word to invoke. They believe that there were spirits in the in the in the under the earth under where people were buried at burial grounds. And they would go to these burial grounds and they would evoke these spirits. And that's what God was. Gudan is the is the word that it, that it uh, evolves from. So it, it was so. What I try to teach people to do is listen, we've been taught words and we've been taught ideologies. We've been taught concepts and that's okay because we've got to have a way to communicate on the earth, on the planet. We have to have a way to communicate. Although years ago, people used telepathy to to communicate, Mm -hmm. which I think is, I think that's safer than these words we've created. Right. Yeah. So I'm, you know, what I teach people is, you know, to be willing to take a look at these words where they came from and how they were used originally, who used these these words and why. Same thing with the Bible. The Bible is not one book. And this is why there's so many contradictions. It's, it's a library of writings that, that, that span across 2000 years written from uh, different mindsets, different cultures about different variations of God. Because one of the things that you have to realize is that, and we've been brainwashed, but the, the Bible is not about one God. The Bible is a pantheon of gods. So many gods in the Bible that we, and we don't even realize that mentally we've taken on the energy of these created deities. Mm. Oh my God. <laughs> no pun intended with that. Oh my God. <laughs> I caught that. I caught that. And then let me, let, let me ask you a question and backtrack a little bit. I, I interview a lot of people. I interviewed this one girl from Fiji. I asked her what was the spirituality up in Fiji. She was like, oh, everybody's a Christian. I interviewed one guy from Uganda, Africa. I'm like, hey, like, what's the spirituality down there? Everybody's a Christian. And you talked about how Jesus is uh, painted in the image of a white man and what this actually does by the the, the power of association, right? And I, I find it quite interesting that when you look at, you know, uh, something called voodoo, that people are afraid of it and is made to seem demonic or something like this. And not that I know much about it, but my question to you is, what do you think is the true, if there is, is is, is the true um, religion or maybe spiritual practice of many, many Black people? And, and that's kind of a generalized question because there probably isn't just one. But what I'm basically asking is before Christianity, before the standard religion, how did people uh, have a connection with God, if you will? So, you know what, if you what I what I've done is because I initially I got stuck with uh, like kineticism. I'm not sure if you've heard of that uh, kinetic spirituality, 
then I was looking at hoodoo and voodoo and all this stuff. And then one day I said, I said to the all, but I want to know what people were doing before any of that stuff. Because again, all of these are, 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 are man-made concepts. All of them are. I'm not saying they're wrong or right. They just all come from men. And so if you go look at the research, there was a time that people did not label what they believed. They just, they just were. So people were, um, people could literally just be out in nature um, and they could feel the vibration of God through nature. They could feel or see and or experience the vibration of God in herbs, in water, in the, in the, in the cosmos. So I think, I think we should drop all the labels for all the religions, mm. even the ones that, uh, even, even, even the African traditions, I think they're all very divisive. Now, do I find good in all of them? I do. I mean, I got my crystals around here and all kind of stuff, but I think, I think, I think they're all divisive. And what I've awakened to is this thing of just this oneness concept. Again, that if I can, if, if everybody could just look at everything and everybody as God, the wind, when it blows, oh my God, if I can look at you and just say, wow, God is awesome. God is amazing. So I don't think any of them are right exclusively. Um, I do believe in the concept of omniism. So I think they all have some, some rightness in them, but I think they all have some wrongness in them too. I think they're all very divisive. So what I've done is I've, I don't I don't associate with any religion now. People always ask me. That's the first question. Well, what religion do you practice now? And what do you believe now? Because the human brain just wants to label it. Some it wants to label everything all the time. Yeah. And so breaking through that construct is what I've done too. Is that uh, there's no name for what I believe. I just get up every single day. And I've learned how to experience God in every breath I take. And with that awareness comes this, this innate ability to just try to love people from a pure place, to try and impact this planet with good. I think that's God. If you can go to bed every night and know that you've done something to try to make this planet, this universe a better place with your gift, whatever that is, to me, that's God. To me, that's religion. What's the difference between religion and spirituality? A huge difference. So religion is a set of beliefs and rules that you have to adhere to. It is a, de a deity that's in the middle of those beliefs. So you know how you got seven circles, right? Yeah. So the circle would be God. And then on the outside of the circle would be all of the rules and all of the beliefs that you have to adhere to in order to be accepted by that God. Mm. That's called religion. So Christian Christianity's God says, 
You have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in the blood of Jesus. You have to blah, 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 all these things. You have to conf confess that you're a sinner. You have to believe in heaven. You have to believe in hell. You have to do all these things. You have to live by the commandments. So all of those are the rules and the beliefs that this God desires. So that's religion. Mm. Spirituality is awareness of self and awareness of interconnectedness to the all. We're all connected. I'm connected to you. You're connected to my husband. You're connected to the tree. There is no difference in any of these things. We're all just manifestations of God. We're all just revelations, the revealings of God. That's spirituality and 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 and, and honoring self. And so it's it, there are no rules, there are no beliefs, there is no deity that you have to subscribe to in spirituality mm. ladies and gentlemen if you're enjoying this content do me a favor take a moment hit the like button also subscribe vanessa if people wanted to follow you what platforms could they follow you at what are some of your handles so um i'm i'm really uh present on facebook and tiktok right now so mm -hmm. uh on tiktok it's life after church okay um on facebook it's vanessa r brooks that's our Brooks got you. Who, who, who are some people that influenced you? Some people that were instrumental in your awakening process? Uh, initially, Carlton Pearson was, was a huge influence. Bishop Carlton Pearson in 2007, he, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was a prominent bishop uh, in the uh, Pentecostal faith. I hope you can still hear me okay. Mm -hmm. um, and in 2007, he went through his own spiritual awakening and he had this belief, this new awareness about heaven and hell. And um, he lost everything when he came out talking about it. Um, he lost his church. He lost, he got excommunicated from the, the bishopric. Um, he talks a lot about spirituality and transcendence. And so he was a major influence for me in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um if you've ever heard of comedic spirituality, um, if not, that is the spirituality of our comedic ancestors. So we know that Egypt is the the name that the Europeans gave, but the original name for that area uh, is Kemet. And so their spiritual system has been tremendous in helping me to heal a lot of the trauma from religion. Um, that was fundamental to my to my development. Well, well, um, to be honest with you, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of people to glean from right now because what happens in the Christian deconstruction construction community is a lot of people in, end up in this atheist space and 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 I didn't want to go that way. So the people that I some of the people that I ended up sort of acclimating to, I've kind of distanced myself because atheism doesn't work for me. Um, I, I see atheism as just as divisive as Christianity. Mm. So I'm having to be that voice for a lot of people. Um, Would you say that politics is a religion in itself? Yes. Yeah. Our, our, this country, this country that, that pretends to be separated from religion is, is not we're not uh, church and the church and state separation is an illusion. Um, our political system is very much rooted in, in Christianity. 
Um, we got the dollar bill that says in God we trust. Um, we have a, you know, our Supreme Court, uh, most of them make their decisions based on Christian concepts. Um, we have not think about this, not that I, not that I, not that I'm an atheist, but I, but I respect atheist, atheist. We haven't had any atheist presidents in this country ever. Every, every president we've had has been a Christian. Yeah. Whether that was a Catholic Christian or, but every, every president we've had has been Christian because it's so, so yeah, there's a subliminal message of Christianity that permeates our, our government and politics. I, I, and Christianity I, itself is political too. Yeah. Hmm. I want to backtrack a little bit because when you brought up Kim, it, it made me think about this. Why is there so many correlations between all of the religions on your TikTok? You put up a poster and it was all of the religions or the main ones that existed. And it was a whole lot. And I've, and I've done some research in the past and I think there was something like 31 religions all have the same script. So what I mean by that is that there was a person that was born. He was born from a virgin. He ended up passing uh, a dying and then he was resurrected after three days. It's always that same, that same script. And normally the mother, her name, you know, is Martha or Mary or Marie or something like that. What, what is the correlation? Like what, why is it the similarities between all of them? And that's even in uh, Hinduism, that's even in Buddhism, even if you look at like uh, the Kemet, right? Uh, the same thing, but then also in Christianity. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, absolutely. That was one of the first things that sort of helped me to break away from Christianity because in, in my in my, in my my little capsule that I was living in, oh, you, I didn't know that. I just thought Christianity was it. So here's the thing. All these religions start out as oral tradition. It started out thousands and thousands of years ago before we had, you know, writing and ways to copy material. People shared these stories orally. Mm. And then as people migrate across different parts of the globe, these stories went with these people. And so that's why all these stories are the same. Because to be quite honest, we're all humans and we all, we all, our brain pretty much operates the exact same way. We all want to try to figure out why things are happening and why things happen the way they do. So all these stories are just oral traditions that have, that have been retold for centuries and, and, and millennia until we finally got to a place where people started to write things down. But these people, again, they migrate from different parts of the of the world and they bring these stories with them. And that's why they're all the same. And that's why there are so many variations of them. And all those religions that I had on that post, if you look at them, it's it's about 4,000 religions that we have right now. Mm, wow. From what I can tell, all 4,000 of them pretty much are the same. They all, they all talk about a deity of some kind. They all have this 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 path they want you to travel to try to get to this place of transcendence they all come with some type of punishment or some type of rules that you need to keep i mean even in kemet they have the 44 the 40 laws of ma'at which is really where the 10 commandments come from mm. um you know so i've looked at a lot i've looked at hinduism i've looked at buddhism because i was trying to figure out where i wanted to go when i left christianity i looked at wicca witchcraft all of them they're all the same. And I finally just said, I don't want to do any of this because all of this is going to wear me out. <laughs> They're all very uh, 
debilitating if you if you if if they become uh, habitual to you. So the reason we see them everywhere is because they're all taken from the same ancient oral stories. And you know how we are as humans. Everybody wants to feel like, you know, I'm going to add this part because I got this revelation from God. And, and so then people are like, oh, I want to I want to become that. And then you get in that and you figure out that they're all the same. And I know from experience, because for the last four years, I've tried to practice all of them or as many of them as I could. Mm. And they're all the exact same. They all come with rules and requirements. And I'm going to get in trouble again. And they're all just an activation of your brain. Listen, your brain will let you believe whatever you want to believe. So if you want, if you believe that Buddha is God, then Buddha is going to become God in your brain. If you want to believe, so, so it's, they're all just, they're all just mental. They're all just imaginations. And, and it, but if they work for you, I think you should, I think you should hold on to them because we, we research has shown that we, most people, not all, but most people need some form of some form of spirituality. Most people want to feel connected to something other than themselves. And so in that regard, I think religions could be beneficial. But when they become when they become fundamental, they just become very toxic. As a human, are we in a transitory state? Are we in a state to where we can become more you mentioned earlier in our conversation that we used to communicate through telepathy and we talked about the similarities between all of these religions and most of them are telling you that you're more than yourself or you can become something greater and people are striving to get somewhere whether if it's heaven or whether if it's to become like jesus and walk on water or become like buddha or become like krishna or whatever have you do you believe that as a human that we can actually do greater things as Jesus said that that that, that we could actually levitate that we could actually teleport etc I have wrestled with that a lot um I think we can reach a state of transcendence but I think that transcendence has been grossly distorted um, we're humans and we're humans, at least on this plane of existence. Now I could get, I could get real technical about what I believe about some other things because I believe we're more than human. Again, I, I am still very spiritual. Um, but I do think that this human physical body with that comes limitations. And so on this physical plane of reality, I think our transcendence is limited. So I don't, I don't think a lot of these things can be done because of the limitations of, hu of of humanity and because of the limitations that we have here on, on planet Earth. Um, but transcendence for me is not this sort of spooky transcendence. I'm transcendent right now because I've, I found my higher self and I was able to find it without the use of religion in these last four years. Mm -hmm. So for me, that is transcendence, that I can... Um, that I can love people and I don't have to love people because Jesus commands me to do it. Mm. See, before I was loving people because Jesus commanded me to do it. So I was like, oh, I got to love everybody. Now I can love people because we have the ability within ourselves. That's what makes us divine to me anyway. 
what makes us divine, what makes us God-like is because we have the ability to do all these things that we're trying to get done through, through religious prescriptions. We're trying to do all these things in Jesus's name. And what I've learned is that, and this is going to sound really blasphemous to my Christian friends, but I've learned I can do those same things in my own name. And so for me, that is transcendence. I can still go out today and feed the hungry the same way I did when I was in Christianity. I can still um, be empathetic and compassionate. And all the things that I was doing because I thought I had to in Christianity, I can do those things. Um, I can still do a level of healing without using Jesus' name to do it because there is some natural healing that this universe has if we tap into it. You know, there's you can use herbs to heal people. You know, you can use you can use prayer uh, as a healing modality if you know how to do it through a uh, through a pure portal. So for me, I, I have transcended because all the things I was doing before and I had to do it in somebody else's name and somebody else's awareness. I'm now doing those things in my own self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the ultimate journey of spirituality and yeah. awakening. That becomes self-empowering instead of giving yeah. power away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do, do you do you, do you notice a huge spiritual awakening happening, or is this mm-hmm. just, or is this just me? And, and 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 why do you think that is? So if you do, no, it's it's huge, it's huge, and um, I want to be a part of it. I want to be I want to be a, a resource for people because people are people have. First of all, I believe in 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 the universal laws, so they have become my sort of my new bible. I don't know if you if you're familiar with the the, the laws of the universe and all that. Are you, are you but, talking um, about like the law of correspondence, the law? Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. So I think based on these universal laws, we have no choice but to get here to this awakening because the universe is cyclic. Everything happens in cycles and seasons and stages, and the universe is always going through cycles. It's this is not the first time this has happened, which is why people need to understand this Jesus story. It's not, there's nothing original about, about, about that. The earth will always have Jesus as a Messiah. I'm one, you're one, right? So because of how this universe operates, we have to get to the place of awakening because we can't stay in one. The universe is not stationary. So Christianity could never just be uh, the overarching path to spirituality because that would mean that the universe is is, is no longer functioning optimally so i think i think it's happening because the universe is rotating in its own cycle and there'll be something else that'll that will replace christianity shortly i may not be here when it happens but christianity will will be replaced by something else Mm -hmm. because that's just the rhythmic nature of the universe and that's why this awakening is happening because people have used these theories these christian theories for so many years and people are starting to see there's no validity to it like my children, my 23-year-old daughter, my 26-year-old son, they're wow. a part of that generation that my children never really gravitated to Christianity. And I was their mama and I was their pastor. They lived in the house with me. And they, not at a very young age, they just got very disassociated with it all. And now that I'm out of it, we have conversations all the time. And they're like, well, ma, we never, we never bought into it. We never really told you because we didn't want to disrespect you. So people are being born into a space where 
They're not afraid to question it. They're not afraid to say this don't make any sense to us. And so because of this, these the the new people who are being born onto the planet, they're gonna they're gonna usher us out of Christianity. And so what people can do is either resist it and some will resist it, or you can just lean into it. And what I've done at, at, at a very, you know, seasoned age, which means anything is possible, you can change. I'm 53. Mm, you look great, man. Isn't that, isn't that something? So what I've decided to do, I allowed myself to lean into this change that's happening. And I'm excited just to be a part of it. And, and a lot of young people follow me because I think because I, I think they follow me because I am, it's like that mothering voice that we all, we all like to be nurtured, right? So I think they get the best of both worlds with me. They get that nurturing and they get that compassion and empathy, but they're also getting this non, this non-judgmental thing from me where I'm not forcing them to put their version of God in a box or some of them, some of them have no version of God at all. And that's okay with me too. And so I think that's why we see this awakening is that people really want to be free. And I think it's innate and I think it's inevitable. And I think the universe is doing it. Mm -hmm. I think the universe is doing it. I think that Whatever, whatever God is, and I told you, I don't really have a name for it. So I just, I always do quotations, but I think God has embedded these laws into the universe. They're just natural laws. I don't think there's a God that's like overseeing these laws and like saying, okay, you better do this. I think these laws are just embedded in our universe. The same way that the trees know when it's time to like, for the leaves to fall off. They know like we're going into fall season now. There is, there is no God in the sky saying, okay, trees, it's time, cue up. No, it's just that these laws are embedded in the universe. And it seems like all of creation knows how to respond to these laws, except for us as humans. Yeah. We keep getting trapped in these in these little boxes. Yeah. And this is part of the, the construct that I call realm. Those who follow me, they know what I'm talking about. You know, R-E-A-L-M-M-M, R for religion, E for educational, E for agriculture, L for law. Infomedia, infomonetary, infomedical. So these seven structures is what make up this society. But I, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into that. I want to ask you uh, two final questions, and these are a little bit lighter, a little bit funner. Uh, okay. If you were president, you were president. What would be the first thing that you would do? We get in trouble. <laughs> I would outlaw. I would outlaw Christianity. I'd make it illegal. <laughs> so, so it's toxic. How, it's toxic. How would that yeah. happen? Like, 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 what would happen if somebody was to uh, practice it? If they were to practice it, because I'm a loving person, you know what I do? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't send them to prison. I would make them. Um, they'd have to. They'd have to for for about ten years. They'd have to read like all the books that I choose for them to read. <laughs> They'd have to learn yoga, meditation. They'd have to learn how to chant. They'd have to learn meditation. Oh my god! They'd have to learn all the different crystals. They'd have to learn about the chakra systems. Yeah, that would be their punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I am funny. All right, all right. And and the uh, last question for you: 
you came you came into fifty billion dollars. What are you gonna do with the money? Oh my God. I live in such a impoverished county. So the first thing I would do is just hire consultants to come into this county and 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 figure out what we need to do to raise the vibration of my county. So that you know, we I'd make sure that we all had housing, that we all had access to free education in my county. Um, I'd make sure that we had, you know, state of the art medical facilities, which include holistic practices. And then I, I'd, um, then I, then I travel the world. I'm gonna just be honest. I'd, I'd be gone okay. after I made sure that the county was okay and my family was okay. I'd be gone, and I, I just want to be a part of the rest of this world, this universe. Mm -hmm. But no, I, I really would. I would. I would give my county like um, a makeover. Um, there's so much crime in my county and drugs. Um, Where are you high at? school dropouts. What, what what state are you at? North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and my county is. We're almost, I think we're number five now, uh, poorest county in the state. Wow. Oh, yeah. I do a lot of work in my county. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, actually, I do have one additional question. In the school system, what would you take out and what would you input? As far as um, I would definitely take out the way history is taught in our school systems because I think that is a huge reason why me and people like me uh fail pretty to religion um the story of the history is just um whitewashed in our schools and a lot of the history is taken out so we definitely i would definitely advocate for um a brand new history curriculum i need them to tell the truth about christopher columbus i need them to tell the truth about christianity slavery racism so we'd have to like uh, history would be like a main area that we'd have to overhaul for me what would i add in um the, the universal laws i think everybody should should know that um i think the school should focus more on financial literacy um and for some reason uh psychology and neuroscience uh are not really taught and i don't know why but i I would definitely want to add neuroscience and psychology curriculums to even um, elementary school students. Hmm. If anybody had, if I had known the how powerful the brain is and how it can get hijacked in in our thinking, I would have made so many different choices. So I definitely want to see psychology and neuroscience, um, quantum physics hmm. taught at a very early age in our schools. Beautiful, beautiful. Do you have any final questions or a message that you want to express before your departure? Um, I just want to tell people that it's that it's okay that that, that there's a safe way to um, deconstruct and decolonize your faith. Um, that you don't have to give up. Um, you don't have to let go of everything. That you can redefine your spirituality, um, and that there is life after church. <laughs> Vanessa Brooks, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. I hope that you have a great day, a great week, a great month, yeah. a great year, and a great life. My name is Jonathan. Thank you for tuning in to Seven Circles. Until next time. Peace. Peace. <laughs> thank you, Jonathan.